Our scriptures for today will be from the Gospel according to Matthew. Our first parable is from Matthew 1 through 9, the parable of the sower. Let us listen together. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell on a path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. If you have ears, hear. It's sometimes easy to mix up the parables and their messages. They display common symbols, wealth, family, and in the case of today's scripture, plants. Jesus communicates with us using seeds, farmers, and harvests. Two of the parables in this section of Matthew feature agriculture heavily, to the point where it becomes hard to distinguish between them. They're commonly known, as we just heard, the parable of the seeds and the parable of the sower. It seems that farming is understandable to the people whom Jesus was speaking to. In fact, we find it understandable to this day. I'm assuming that no one here needs a biology degree to understand that a seed needs soil to bear fruit. Perhaps the reason that metaphors relating to crops are so timeless is simply because the development of farming is monumental in human history. The agricultural revolution is a period of time when humans began to settle in one place for most of their lives and eventually farm. This revolution, as we call it, eventually led to the creation of communities advancements in construction, and eventually civilizations. Agriculture is literally the foundation of society, and throughout most of history, the majority of the population was directly involved with it. Today, this ratio has changed. Technology requires fewer people to be involved in actual agriculture in order to produce enough food for all of us. And yet, we have a basic understanding of how farming works. We still know that a seed needs soil. It is possible that our current system of agriculture will not last forever. Octavia Butler's classic and apocalyptic work, which is appropriately enough named The Parable of the Sower, presents a scarily plausible future America, one where the nation is ravaged by droughts, extreme weather, and research shortages, and the country itself is controlled by corporations who only care about how they can profit off the desperation of the people. Yet the tone of the book is hopeful. Though its central theme has changed, we see a group of survivors choose to resist the system that sees them as little more than a source of profit. They construct their own community, and they farm. Instead of relying on the corporations, which are maintained by enslaved workers and helped contribute to the system that America saw itself in, they farm for themselves, and they rely on each other. Agriculture sparked the first major change in Earth's population, and thousands of years later, it does so again. It is impossible to know if the future will ever rely us to farm in order to feed ourselves once again, 
but it is comforting knowing that the ideas relating to the practice stay with us, the same as Jesus' words. The parable of the mustard seed, Matthew 13, 31 through 32. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed into his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. found great meaning in Matthew 13 when I first encountered it a few weeks ago. Something about the agricultural metaphors Jesus delivers to his disciples felt perfect for this time in my life. As a senior, the seeds that I have sown are now bearing fruit, and it's time to harvest them before I leave this place. The one excerpt from this passage that especially resonated with me was that of the parable of the mustard seed. I think anyone can connect with the idea of something so big growing from something so small. I knew this was what I wanted to speak on. As I prepared to speak today, I thought of the parable and the ways that it connects to my own life. About a week ago, while I sat in my chair fruitlessly thinking, I felt an urge to do something that I very often do. I paid a visit to my dad's closet, a treasure trove of forgotten sweaters, pants, and 1996 University of Florida National Championship commemorative t-shirts. <laughs> Buried deep beneath the piles of clothes, one can find neglected gems, of which my dad is completely unaware of. Ever since his clothes started fitting me, I've been covertly borrowing them and transporting them to my own closet. This has been the source of roughly two-thirds of my own wardrobe. Very rarely has he noticed me wearing his clothes, but there will be the occasional, those shoes look familiar. Are you sure they're not mine? Uh, in which case, I must convince him that I found them at a thrift store or some yard sale, which usually does the trick. Anyway, as I open the closet door to degrave an invaluable cache of ancient wonders, I saw something I'd seen before. A white canvas covered with handprints of multicolored paint. I'd seen it many times before. I had accepted it as part of this environment. But something moved me to really look at it this time, some gut feeling. As I excavated it from the closet, I studied it in detail and made some very interesting observations. The canvas is about 18 by 24 inches with text wrapping around the edges and a title in the middle, We Promise. I counted the handprints, 20. I saw that there were names written next to each handprint as well, familiar names. Stephen, Jason, Mary, Andy, Margaret, Betsy, Mike, Gwen, just to name a few. These were names, I realized that these were names of people from church, people that I know, people that are here today. This list includes the person who baptized me, my confirmation mentor, my Sunday school teachers, 
and people have supported me in ways that I'm not even aware of. When it really started to make sense was when I turned the canvas over. There was a date, February 5th, 2005, nine days before the day I was born, and exactly 18 years ago on the day that I found it. Then there was also a name, Baby Haynes. Then it hit me. This was not an older sibling's middle school art project like I assumed. This was a promise made to me by the people who loved me before I was even born. Baby Haynes. I didn't even have a name yet. And I saw that canvas as the kingdom of heaven. Those handprints, those people. Something so small, such a small promise, such a small person. Those relationships that have grown into something so big that faith, that promise. You never know when you're planting a seed or the ways that it will grow. Thanks be to God. The parable of the weeds among the weed, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, collect the weed first and bend them in the bundles to be burned, Then, but gather the wheat into my barn. The word of the God for the people of God. Howdy. <laughs> Um, almost a year ago, I learned um, a very important lesson. I'm not sure if any of you remember, but you prayed for me and my family for about a year when I was getting treatment for my eating disorder. Um, thank you, by the way. <laughs> and what I learned from journeying away from my family and meeting other people with similar struggles to mine is that if you do not want to get better, you won't. Um, there would be girls who would complain about being there for months but never start trying to push themselves to do more. There's a sense of pity when looking at them, but at the same time I thought, well, surely that could never be me. Surely I was recovering for me, not for everybody else. Oh, what a rude awakening I was in for. Um, not only did I not fully get better, I got worse. <laughs> um, I left convinced I had recovered when just a few months later I was being threatened to be tubed, something I had up to this date avoided. But it took a horrible breakup for me to pick myself up by the bootstraps and realize I'm not getting better so my parents will get off my back. I'm not getting better so that I can just go back to my old ways in college. I'm not getting better, or I am getting better so I can be happy. I deserve happiness, and so do all of you. The whole scripture, in my interpretation, is trying to tell us that there are these weeds and that we all have them. Not physical weeds like in your garden, but things you, we don't want people to see there. Uh, we think they look ugly. We say, oh, my beautiful petunias, they're ruining it. 
I assume at least I've never heard anyone say petunias out loud. Um, <laughs> but either way, we all have weeds and we try to hide them from everybody else. We try to hide things like anxiety and depression and in my case, eating habits. We're ashamed of them. However, some of us are never aware of them at all and we can't even see the weeds under the surface of our soil. Like the scripture says, it's not until months later that we realize they're there, not until we have time to grow and see what the wheat as well see the good things. And when we do find the weeds, it's far too late. So what do we do? We work on ourselves. We dig up the weeds all the way down to the root and we take them out. We sort through the good and the bad. At some point in everyone's life, we have to sit down and say, to quote Taylor Swift, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs> I'd like to think that sometimes God knocks on your door and is like, hey girl, we need you to fix some stuff. There's good and there's bad and we can fix it if we both take it in full. A little divine intervention, if you will. Sometimes you need some, something to make you realize, oh, I'm only hurting myself by doing this. And that gut feeling is God. God is looking at you and saying, together. Together we can fix this and leave you happier than when you started. And the thing is, we all make mistakes and sin and hurt each other. It's part of living. That's the beautiful part of life, is we're all messing up all the time. And it's having the guts to look at yourself and say, yes, I'm the problem right now. And I may be the problem in the future, but I'm going to try to get better for me. That's the most important part. Get better for you. When you've gone without sunlight for so long, you've forgotten what it looks like. The idea of light seems terrifying, but it's just new. We just need to adjust. We just need somewhere to start. Good morning. So I'm going to be narrowing in on uh, Matthew 13, verses 27 through 29. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. I believe God's message through this scripture is about how the good may be intermingled with the bad in our lives, and sometimes it can be extremely difficult to tell where they lie amongst each other. Let me tell you a story about my experience with finding great good in the midst of a seemingly very bad situation. So those of you who know me know that I love basketball with just about everything I have. I eat, sleep, and breathe basketball, Grizzlies, MUS, the Vols. Um, naturally, I've always wanted to play basketball wherever I am, whatever school I'm at. So when I came to MUS in the seventh grade, that's all I wanted to do. But broke my leg in seventh grade, didn't make the team. Eighth grade, barely played at all. Same in ninth grade. Tenth grade, first JV year. I got a few more minutes. Some people were out with COVID, you know. It was, uh, it was nice, but I still don't play as much as I wanted to. Uh, so the summer before my junior year, I tried out for the summer varsity team. I didn't make it, which didn't concern me too much about making the actual varsity team in the winter because the summer team's usually smaller, takes less people. However, come late October, when it was time to meet with Coach Wilson about whether or not I'd be playing basketball next year, I was very nervous. To clarify, at MUS, when it's your junior year, you either make varsity or you're, you're just about done. Your basketball career at MUS is effectively over if you don't make the team. I went into the meeting very unsure of how I would feel walking out of the office. Hey, Reed, take a seat. The infamous line amongst the MUS basketball program still stings my ears every time I hear it to this day. I was quickly told I would not be playing varsity basketball my junior year, and my thoughts were everywhere. 
That's it. At least you tried. But then Coach Wilson offered me another opportunity that he had never offered anyone else. He told me that he believed that I could improve a lot as a player, and I had a lot of potential. So he'd offer me a spot on JV for my junior year. I immediately thought, no, how could I do that? That would be so humiliating. Everyone will judge me. I'll just quit. However, after a conversation with my parents that night and a lot of grappling on whether or not to quit the sport that I so dearly love, I decided that I love basketball way too much just to give it up like that. I decided I'd do it. And it was pretty humiliating. I got plenty of slick comments from people who did not under my understand my situation, and it stung. But I played as hard as I could, I got much better, and I gained a lot of confidence in the process. I played my way into a spot on the varsity team this year, and with the help of some people leaving and others graduating, I earned a starting spot. JV is a junior to a varsity starter. It would not have been possible if I did not swallow my pride and see the end goal instead of the bad situation I was in at the time. So that is why Jesus tells us not to take up the weeds. Among the weeds is a fruitful grain. And while I can't tell you it'll all be okay, I can tell you that God is in the field of your life and that good things will grow in your field that you may not have expected. So keep pushing through that rough spot in your relationship or that tough project at work. Whatever you're doing right now may seem rough, but things that you love are hardly ever worth giving up on. Thank you.